And then when after he won the fittest man on earth, three years in a row, Rich says that he realised that he'd attained incredible wealth, there was prize money associated with this, he'd attained fame and accolade, but he was empty. Inside he was empty. He had, as someone, one of his friends described, he had all the toys, but he had an emptiness. And so Rich Froning just reflecting on what is life about, the fittest man on earth. Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in for the program. Following Christ is not always easy, has anyone discovered that? Following Christ can be the greatest challenge you'll ever take on in your life. It is not for wimps. Living for Jesus is not always easy. You don't always get the the applause of the crowd. Is a balanced life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr Corbett is in a 10-part series titled Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Tonight, he looks at the pursuit of holiness. His topic is the fourth in the series. Being in a hole may make you holy, but it does not make you holy. A special holy. welcome to you if this is your first time here and maybe... Um this is not your normal church home and uh, a, a special welcome. Sometimes around the end of a year and the start of a year, things get hectic and, and we can easily find ourselves getting distracted by the wrong things and having our lives what I describe as out of balance. And I think as we look at God's word, it gives us the prescriptions for getting our life in balance. And the picture that I have, and I was almost going to bring my lazy Susan, I, I think I will next time, it's the, the picture of a potter's wheel where it goes around. And, and if you have the clay in the middle of the potter's wheel as it's spinning, the potter can work that clay and that clay can be moulded and fashioned exactly as the potter designed. But it only takes one degree out and that clay's out of centre and out of balance, out of whack. And this picture is a picture that's presented in Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 18, where God says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. I want to mould you, I want to shape you, and I want to fashion you. And so we are looking at, through this summer series, the 10 proven keys to living a balanced life. And I hope that as a result, we take the things that we hear, and I want to give you a little bit of a recap on some of the things that we've heard so far. And we can, we can be people who enjoy... Well, let's have a look at what, what some of the things are that, that come from living a balanced life. And, and this picture of being moulded and shaped and fashioned is, is the picture that I'm building this series around. It's the whole idea that God can shape and fashion us. And as we understand these principles that God has given and as we apply these principles that God has given, our life enjoys his hands shaping and moulding us into a piece of art. Therefore, the best place for us to be is in the middle of his will or the, in the middle of his will. And when we are, these are the benefits. We enjoy peace. And peace is not... Uh, that, that tranquil country scene where you wake up in the morning and the magpies are chirping, the kookaburras are kookaburraing, and, and it's, it's, 
it's actually a picture of turmoil. It's a picture of distress. It's a picture where all hell is breaking loose on the outside. And peace is when on the inside you are quietly confident that God is in control. That's the kind of peace that we're talking about. And realistically, that's the kind of peace most of us need most of the time. You know, you may feel like you need the quiet country scene with the magpies warbling and the kookaburras kookaburraing, but really you need something on the inside, not the outside. And so when your life is in balance, when the potter's hands are moulding and shaping you, while all else around you is spinning out of control, if you're in the care of his hands, you enjoy his peace. So that's why real peace is only experienced in the midst of turmoil. What else happens when your life is in balance? We've seen that you develop a life of gratitude. You express gratitude. You become thankful. You're thankful for what you have. You're thankful for what you've done. You're thankful for what others have done for you. You're thankful for the many blessings that God has bestowed upon you. You're thankful. And the challenge that I gave when we looked at this aspect of it was what if today you only had what you were thankful for yesterday? How much would you have today? So how much do you want tomorrow? Be thankful for what you have today. A life that's in balance is a life that enjoys happiness. And how might we define happiness? Happiness isn't always when others please you. It's Again, it's an internal thing. Something happens on the inside. And it's, it's a gladness which makes life delicious. It makes memories sweet. And people adorable. Have you ever been in a horrible situation and someone has said to you, well-meaning, someone has said to you, you know what, you're going to look back on this moment and laugh. At the time, I could hit them. But often, nearly always, Kim's, uh, they are right. <laughs> you look back on that moment. I mean, the moment when we were walking the, the Port Davy track and I'm up to my neck with mud splashing up to my right nostril and all I've got is a fingertip showing and Kim and Jeff are standing there watching me sink and Kim says to Jeff, quick, grab the camera. <laughs> Not rescue him, grab the camera. You're up to your knees. I'm preaching. All right, I wasn't up to my chin, I wasn't up to my nostril, but I was up to my knees. Um, <laughs> actually, it was more like my hips. To be, it was my hips, thank you. See? Hips, chin, whatever. Um, and you look back on this moment and you'll look upon it fondly. Now, strangely, at the time, I wasn't looking at the situation too fondly, but now I look back and, as you can see, I, I can have a laugh about it. it <laughs> hasn't affected me at all. <laughs> and so when your life is in balance, you pursue a life of holiness. And holiness is thought of by many people to be, you know, shave your head, wear a plain robe, live on top of a mountain. But that's not holiness. Holiness is simply 
utter goodness. Utter goodness. So good. It's so good. It's different. It's so good. It's special. It's so good. It's not ordinary. It's so good. It's like having the good china in your house. Someone said it this way. You, you, you take your good china and you put it on plate stands. You get a cabinet with a glass door and you put it behind there and you never use it because that's your good plate or your good crockery. The good crockery you never use because it's good and it's just for display. And, and someone said that's a picture of holiness except the kind of holiness God talks about isn't just behind a cabinet on display. It should be, but it's out there and it's being used. It's not to be treated as common, but it is good. And when the Bible describes God as holy, 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 and as we said in the Hebrew, stating something three times is to make it emphatic and absolute. It's a picture that God is absolutely good. There is no one like him. And he calls us to live holy lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He calls us to live a holy life. And if you live a holy life, a life of goodness, where you're kind and you're generous and, and you speak well of others and, and you don't retaliate and you're, you're slow to anger, this is living a holy life. And when you do that, your life is in balance. We have lots of people whose lives get out of whack and out of kilter. And, and around this time it highlights, and I was talking with Stephen before, who's on the sound desk this morning, who is one of the managers of City Mission. They are putting on a lunch today, expecting, Stephen was saying, they're expecting maybe 100 or so people. These are people who perhaps are without family, without homes, some of them, without the opportunity to have a family Christmas lunch and City Mission were overwhelmed. It was over, over 500? 500 people around Launceston said, I'd like to come to that. And it just shows, I think, that, that beneath the surface of what is a really beautiful city, a really beautiful state, and by and large, really nice people, that there is an ache and a hurt that so many people are experiencing and for many people their lives are out of kilter, out of balance. And I want to talk just briefly as we tie in what Christ actually came for and where people are at generally about continuing looking at the 10 proven life balance principles and, and today we're going to look at what difference the birth of Christ has made and this is the fourth in, in this series. And so I want to, th this message is called, and hopefully it'll make sense in a moment, being in a hole may make you holy, but it does not make you holy, holy. And it's, it's more of a visual thing if you can see the way the first holy is spelled, being in a hole, H-O-L-Y or E-Y, but holy, holy. So I want to see if we can understand this. We, we've looked at some of the other principles that that God has given for us to live a fulfilled life where we can enjoy peace. And I was talking last night over a barbecue with some friends and, and I mentioned a guy by the name of Rich Froning. And Rich Froning, was, um, uh, he won the fittest man on earth four years in a row. And... He, he says that in his life he had three moments and those moments were, 
when he was a very young boy, his parents said, if you want to go out and play, you've got to clean up your room. And so he some, somehow he just got it that if you want to enjoy life, you have to work first. And this somehow is ingrained in him. If you want to enjoy life, you've got to work first. And then he, he, be, he was very, very good at sport. And he realised that if he trained, he could become better at sport. And so this was the next moment in his life, he says, that he learned that when you train, you actually benefit. So there's pain, but there's great gain. And then when, after he won The Fittest Man on Earth, three years in a row, Rich says that he realised that he'd attained incredible wealth. There was prize money associated with this. He'd attained fame and accolade, but he was empty. Inside, he was empty. He had, as someone, one of his friends described, he had all the toys, but he had an emptiness. And so Rich Froning, just in a moment where he was just reflecting on what is life about, the fittest man on earth, a really sharp guy, uh, cried out to God, is there God of your real, reveal yourself to me. And he says God did. And he says that he realized it was at that point that he had his third moment. And his third moment was that this life itself was just preparation for the ultimate life. And everything that he'd learned in those other moments of his life about work first, play later, train for gain, now made sense spiritually for him. And Rich Froning gave his life to Christ. And if you ever get to see him compete, these guys usually compete topless. Uh, go figure. Uh, and they, they turn up at an event where they compete over four days and they're not told what they have to do. They may have to live, lift uh, 200 kilos over their head and run 400 metres. They may have to climb 20 metres up a thick rope. They may have to swim eight kilometres in the ocean and then come and bench press 300 pound five times and then go back out and do it again. And this goes on for four days. And so Rich Froning now has tattooed up his side Galatians 6.14, which says, I will know nothing but the cross of Christ. And, that, and, the, and the tattoo up the side is like it would be for you and me, Marco, is rippled on Rich Froning. His, his are rippled for different reasons than, than ours. And, and now he's living for Christ. He's found that the world and all it offers, the toys, the accolades, the attainment, the achievements, even the personal health is nothing compared to knowing Christ. So if you want to be truly free, this is one of the principles of life, you have to bow to the right master. And you've got to find that, who is that master? You will all have a master. Every one of us in this room has a master. We may be kidding ourselves, as we'll see in a moment, that you think you're your own master, but you're not. You all have a master. The question is, who is it? To find balance in your life, you must worship the true God. Because, again, you will worship. Every one of us in this room is a worshipper. We worship. Worship is giving adoration, attention, time, talent, and treasure to it's where you surrender to. Uh, I'm a member of the Geelong Football Club. They just sent me my membership package. I've got a Geelong membership scarf. I've got a Geelong membership bumper sticker. It would be very easy. You hang around me very, very easy to realise that I'm a Geelong supporter. I was born in Geelong, raised, just didn't know anything other than, than barracking for the cats. 
uh, but I don't worship them. I worship Jesus. And hopefully, while it might not take you long to realise I barrack for the cats, I worship Jesus. And I hope you can see that worship involves every aspect of your life. And to get your life in balance, you've got to worship the true God because there are many false gods and false gods leads to a false life. So this requires finding the true God. So the question might be asked, for the average Tasmanian who thinks, well, what do I need God for? I'm happy. I've got, I've got a house, a car. I go off fishing on the weekend. I've got a boat. I've got toys. I, 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 can, I can have a quiet drink. I'm, I'm just happy. What, what do I need God for? Firstly, the, the pursuit of your life is not about if you find God, you'll be happier. I'll just, I'll just tell you straight up now. There are many people who you'll give your life to God and you will know a life of unparalleled challenge. Following Christ is not always easy. Has anyone discovered that? Following Christ can be the greatest challenge you'll ever take on in your life. It is not for wimps. Living for Jesus is not always easy. You don't always get the, the applause of the crowd. And this is where you begin to realise that life isn't about getting the applause of the crowd, but it is about getting the applause of the one. And when you live like that, it's really important that you know the true God. The true God. Who is this God? There's certain intuitive things we all know about God. And if I was to say to you, intuitively, what do you think about God? Who, who do you think God would be? I think these would be the words that would come up. He'd be great. He'd be powerful. He'd be wise, loving, eternal, doesn't age. He'd be all-knowing. He would be everywhere. And here's the problem. We all, I think, know this intuitively. And someone has pointed out that there's some tremendous similarities between many of the world's living religions. And while that might be true, apart from the fact that they disagree on the actual nature, identity, character of God, and they disagree on heaven, hell, life, the afterlife, ethics and morality. Apart from those minor differences, all religions are basically the same. But the problem is we, we all have an intuitive knowledge that there is a God and yet there's a problem. And this is why Jesus Christ came. Because all mankind has been stained with sin. And sin does this to every human heart. It's, it puts within us a desire to be God. A desire to be God. And that's the problem of sin. And that's why Jesus Christ came, to pay the price of sin, to break the spell. Without Christ breaking that spell from off your life, you are like, who is it? Theoden in Lord of the Rings, the, the one who, who'd been cast under a spell couldn't see reality, couldn't experience reality because he was bewitched. And the Bible actually says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 and following, that it's possible for people to be bewitched, tricked, deceived. And Jesus Christ has come to break the spell of sin, break the curse of sin. If we are left to our own devices under this bewitching of sin, this is what happens. Firstly, we overestimate our own goodness. We say things like this, well, I'm not that bad. That's, that's what we say, well, I'm not that bad. 
And the other thing we do is this. We underestimate God's goodness. We underestimate how incredibly good God is. And the word that I want to introduce to you now as we sort of tie this in with Christmas is this word holy. And holy means impeccably good. Good in a way that it surpasses any definition of good you've got. It's a good that cannot stand for injustice. I heard Josh McDowell had a T-shirt printed. It's a bit cheeky. And it said this, and he went, to, um, he went to a conference where this was not well received at all. It wasn't a Christian conference. Josh McDowell, a uh, famous Christian, he had a T-shirt. He said, it said this, intolerance is a beautiful thing. On the back of the T-shirt, it said, Mother Teresa couldn't tolerate poverty. Martin Luther King couldn't tolerate racial prejudice. Jesus Christ couldn't tolerate sin. Tolerance, intolerance is a beautiful thing. You need the context, don't you? This word holy is so good, it cannot tolerate that which is not good. Holy. And in Bible language, the Hebrews, of which the first half of the Bible is written in, in the Hebrew language, they had a very limited vocabulary. And their vocabulary depended on sometimes repeating words to emphasise words. So today, they wouldn't say today's a hot day. Today, they might say today is a hot, hot day. It emphasises that word. And if it was crazy hot, they would say, today is a hot, hot, hot day. Three times. And that's all they could do, three times. So repeat a word three times, that's it. They've, they've maxed it out. So when Isaiah, who prophesied, unto us a child is given, and also later in chapter 9 said, behold, the government shall be on his shoulders, that Isaiah, the chapter before he said, for unto us a child is born, or the chapter before, a virgin shall conceive, this Isaiah was caught up into heaven and he saw God. And this is what he says he heard. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are the largest created beings in the universe. Each had six wings. With two wings he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. So this is what he saw. What did he hear? And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, God. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, Holy, holy. When Isaiah is caught up into heaven, he sees God described as ultimately holy, the ultimate in holiness. And this is what we know about God. He possesses 
certain unique attributes. He alone is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omni, alone is omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. God possesses omnipotence, all power. These are uniquely. If you have just even one of those attributes, you are God because they are uniquely possessed by God. But there are certain attributes that God doesn't uniquely possess, but he uniquely possesses in their fullest expression, and holiness is one of them. Karen read the scripture out where the angel declares about the coming Jesus, the birth of Jesus, where we, we heard in Luke, it said this, the angel said, this child shall be holy. We sing silent night, holy night. Why? Because the child who is holy has now been miraculously birthed. Holiness. And God alone possesses holiness in its fullest expression. And holiness is that it, it is, is best seen in who God is. Apart from the, the, the description of God as love, by far the greatest description, the most common description in all of Scripture is this, God is holy. So holiness is that expression that he possesses in its fullest expression. And if you want to have your life in balance, if you want to find meaning and purpose for your life, I'm going to suggest to you, you need to pursue holiness. That is goodness. You need to be kind and good and everything that word holy means. And I'm going to suggest that you were actually created to be like that. And that Jesus Christ has come and he has lived the ultimately perfect holy life. A life impeccably good. Jesus Christ lived that kind of life. Just before he was taken, and I saw a very clever Christmas to Easter sort of thing. It had the, the Christmas wreath dried up. There it was in leaf, and then it dried up, and it became the crown of thorns. The reason for the season, the reason. Jesus Christ came and gave his life. And now this is, this is the thing. You might be here and you might be thinking, I really don't know what life's all about. I don't know how I can get through this ache and this emptiness in my soul. I've tried religion. I've even gone to church. Going to church no more makes you a Christian than driving through McDonald's drive-through makes you a hamburger. You don't become a Christian simply because you go to church. Becoming a Christian is when Christ comes into your heart and transforms you from the inside out. And Jesus warned that there are many people who think they're okay with him but they've never yet invited him in. Have you? He is the gift of God. He is the reason why we exchange gifts, because we're celebrating the ultimate gift, him. He is the ultimate gift. And he now invites you to share in his holiness. He now invites you to invite him in. He invites you to receive him as a gift from God to you. That is awesome news. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how right you think you are with God, unless you've made peace with God by accepting Jesus Christ as God's gift to you, you are deceiving yourself. And that's a wonderful Christmas message. <laughs>
Oh, but it's true. It's true. And I'm sure if we had the time, we could ask people in this room, how many people have found that by giving their life to Jesus Christ, they now live a fulfilled, or as we say, a better life. And I think we would see hands go up all across this auditorium. I want to finish with this. If you know Jesus, you know the Holy One, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Father, I pray that this Christmas would be the day when many people go, Father God, I want your gift. You've given the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ, and now I want to receive that gift. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Break the spell of sin. Break the curse of sin from off my life and help me to live for you, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Karen. God alone expresses holiness in all its fullness. To have your life in balance is to pursue holiness. More from Dr. Corbett next week when his topic will be if the price is too right, the cost is always too high. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, which is part four in the series Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.